0: Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, if you would take your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, that's where we left it off. And I gave a title to this The Indomitable Paul. Uh, That's probably not a name that you would, or a word that you use very often. Um, It was first used in English in the 1600s as a synonym of wild. So that was when it first meant. So we're not talking about the wild Paul. But over time, the wildness associated with the indomitable developed into a specific kind of strength. And so this word's been around for a while. By the 1800s, indomitable was being used for people whose courage and persistence helped them to succeed in difficult situations. That's why I call it the indomitable Paul, because of his courage and persistence to succeed in difficult situations. Have you ever felt or came across a difficult situation in your life and you felt like giving up? He felt like, just that's it, I'm I'm throwing in the towel. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, I am sure, faced many things that would cause any other person to say, that's it, I'm done, I'm out of here. I've I've given it my all, I've tried, and it's just not working, I'm, I'm ready to quit. That was, you know, it's tempting for us, and I'm sure Paul was tempted in the same way, but Paul didn't quit. Paul hung in there, the indomitable Paul. Remember last week... In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, it said, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of of the Lord and see how they are doing. They had come back from their first missionary journey. They had been hanging out in Antioch, preaching and teaching the word. They didn't stop serving. They were serving only in a different capacity. And then Paul has this burden he wants to go back, and he wants to make sure that those, those baby believers that have just come to faith in Christ, I want, I want to see how they're doing. I want to encourage them. I want to disciple them and find out how they're doing. And so you know the story. Last week we talked about it. Barnabas said, great, I'll go tell John Mark to pack his suitcase. And Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not taking that guy. He ducked out on us before. We're not going to take him again. I don't want him to duck out when I need him most. And Barnabas was determined to take young John Mark. Well, this disagreement over taking young John Mark with them led to Paul and Barnabas going separate ways. Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. Paul took Silas and started on what is known as his second missionary journey. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so that was last week. Today we're picking up the story here in verse 1 of chapter 16. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who had believed. But his father was Greek and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and an Iconium. If you will recall, it was at Lystra where the pagans there, spurred on by the Jewish people there, they stoned Paul and left him for dead outside of the city. And I'm going to read that to you out of Acts chapter 14, verse 20. However, so he's left for dead. He's been stoned and he's left for dead. However, verse 20 of chapter 14, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he part- departed with Barnabas to Derbe, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Can you imagine? Paul here, battered, bruised, probably still bleeding, well, maybe not freshly bleeding, but scabbed over. However, he appeared to the people there. He's saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Here's a man that lived what he was talking about. In verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every city, uh, in every church, excuse me, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, let me ask you this. Put yourself in Paul's shoes or his sandals or whatever he was wearing at the time put yourself into his situation how many of us would have given up after being stoned with rocks and left for dead i mean how many, you know i mean you you had you you practically died how many of us would say that's it man i'm done this isn't for me i need to go home and recuperate you know the interesting thing tarsus was not too terribly far from Lystra where this took place. Tarsus was where Saul was from. Saul of Tarsus. Paul, of course, we're talking Paul, but his name was Saul. All what he would have had to do was go through the Cilician Gates, which is a mountain pass in the Taurus Mountains. That's all he had to do. And that's actually what those, uh, that Cilician Gates looks like. It's in Turkey. He would have had just passed through this mountain pass and gone down to into his homeland. How many of you have wanted to do that? Man, I, I've just been beat up. I need to rest. I need to recoup. I don't even know if I'm going to go anymore. I mean, I, this is just too much. Well, Paul didn't give up. He went to Derby, and then he returned to, city, to the city, to Lystra and Iconium, where they stoned him, where they hated him. Now, about two years later, about two, the two years I've trans, uh, have passed since we're here, Paul meets this young disciple named Timothy. You know, I, I can't help but think that this Timothy was a fruit of Paul's ministry, of, of the disciples there. They just come to faith in Christ. They see this man almost killed for his faith, and here he is loving on them and wanting to encourage them while he's battered and bruised and beat up. Timothy is a part, is a fruit of his first missionary journey with all its difficulties. It wasn't an easy trip. Think about this. If Paul had decided to call it quits and gone home to Tarsus instead of coming back to those cities, would the impact that he had on those believers there have been as great as it was since he didn't give up and he came back? What would the impact have been? We'll never know because Paul didn't give up interesting, many years later, Paul would write this to Timothy in his second epistle. He would say, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Timothy carefully followed not only Paul's doctrine, Paul was laying down the foundation of Christianity. Paul was one of the foundations of Christianity. And Timothy carefully followed not only what Paul said and what he taught, but he followed his manner of life, how he lived his life, how he walked the talk. He followed Paul's purpose. You guys remember that book, The Purpose Driven Life? You remember that was kind of a thing that was going on at all? I never read it. But, you know, let me ask you this. Do people know what your purpose is today? I mean, when people come around, do they look at you and they go, I know what this guy's all about, man. He loves Jesus. He, he's just a servant. Man, what a guy or what a girl, what a lady. Your purpose is your goal your life's aim, what are you all about? You know, some people, they. Uh, I knew this guy that, that was really into Harley Davidsons, and, you know, he had the tattoos, he had the long hair, he had the leather jacket, um, he had the skull ring, he had, I mean, he just, you, you see him walking down the street, I know what this guy's about. <laughs> he's all about biking, you know, he's about motorcycles and stuff. What are you all about? Do people see your purpose? Do they they identify what you are about? Well, Timothy looked at Paul and said, man, I know what his purpose is. Timothy carefully followed Paul's faith, his long suffering, which basically means his patience and his love and his perseverance. That word perseverance is hupomone. It It means to remain under. It actually refers to or implies cheerfully Enduring, cheerful constancy. Paul, through all the stuff that he went through, was still cheerful. He still had that joy of the Lord. And then also Timothy followed his persecutions. Now, his persecutions, that's affliction for your faith from other people. That's when other people say you're a Christian and they persecute you. That's that's what he's referring to. Some people say, oh, I'm being persecuted, you know, the millman didn't come today. You know, that's not really persecution. But he also followed his afflictions. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody is attacking you because you're a Christian. Afflictions is just the result of living in a fallen world. I mean, your car breaks down. It's not like the demon of the of the uh, car breaking down is there attacking you. Your car just broke down. You know, somebody cut you off in the, on the road. They're not demon possessed. Well, hopefully they're not. It's just we live in a fallen world, and so those kind of afflictions that we all face, Timothy's watching Paul, and he goes, man, I know what this guy's all about. It says there that Timothy was well spoken of both by insiders and outsiders. This young man had a consistent reputation. I like that about Timothy. He had a great reputation. In 2 Timothy 1 Verse 5, Paul writes this to him. He says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. What a heritage. It's, I'm, I'm guessing that his grandmother, maybe his grandmother was the first person that got saved. We had a, a, a lovely family, we're still friends with them from Cambodia, and they were Buddhist. And they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because the grandmother. She was the first one to come to faith in Christ. Eventually, her daughter came to faith in Christ, her granddaughter. You know, now so many of her family members are born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Well, that's probably what happened with Timothy. He had godly parents, at least a godly mother, godly grandparents who pray and those who lived an example of faith and godliness. Man, if you're a parent this morning or you're a grandparent, you still have an opportunity to influence your children for Jesus Christ, like Timothy. What a wonderful thing. Verse 3, And Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him, because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. I have this uh, couple of granddaughters well, actually, I have a bunch of granddaughters, but I have a couple in particular that I'm thinking of, and I like to mess with them. Um, they kind of hang on my words, and I don't see them very often when I say, I, you know, I try to be funny. I'm, I say the old, same old dad jokes that, you know, other people roll, would roll their eyes, but they just love it because it's like, it's opa. That's they like, call me opa, not opa, but, you know, they call me. That's grandfather in Dutch anyways. But, um, so I'll say something to them, and I'll say something really kind of fast and a little, and they'll go, <laughs> wait, what? I had one of those moments when I read that this morning, or not this morning, but this week. Wait, what? Because if you think about it, we talked about the Jerusalem Council, remember that? The whole purpose for the Jerusalem Council was to come against the notion that Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Man, there's a big decision. They all got together, they, they fought it out, they argued it out, they settled on, hey, the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Now Paul is having young Timothy circumcised. And what's fascinating about that is he, there's another young Gentile by the name of Titus that we'll find will be introduced later on in the book of Acts. Paul didn't require him to be circumcised. So why Titus? Well, the answer is the position of the Judaizers. Those are the ones that said you've you got to be circumcised. You be, basically, you have to become Jewish before you can become a Christian. And circumcision was the sign that you were a Jewish male. The position of the Judaizers was that unless a Gentile man was circumcised, he cannot be saved. And they had already settled that issue. Titus was a Gentile, and he didn't need to be circumcised. And Paul stood firm on that. But Timothy, on the other hand, his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek, which means Gentile. And because they'd be ministering also to Jews as well as to Greeks, Paul didn't want Timothy to be a stumbling block to the Jews that they would minister to. Paul was a disciple or apostle to the Gentiles, but everywhere he went, he ministered to Jews as well. He didn't say, I don't minister to them. This is just my, this is my pigeonhole. This is my, you know, my, this is my lane. I don't, no, he ministered to whoever he could minister to. Listen, if Timothy, who was part Jewish, was not circumcised, and then they go to these Jewish, because Paul would always go to these synagogues first, if they found out that Timothy wasn't circumcised, and they knew that he was Jewish, it would appear that Paul and Timothy and those men that were with them were rejecting the Jewish faith and the culture in totality. And what that would have resulted in is it would have been a stumbling block for the Jewish people. They would have said, Man, Paul, you, you, you don't care anything about Jewish heritage or history at all. Verse 4 And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So they're, they're, dis, they're distributing or delivering those decrees. What decrees? Well, there was three of them. Salvation, the first one is salvation is by grace through faith alone, and it does not require circumcision. I guarantee if you're a Gentile male, that would be good news to you. (laughs) Yay, I don't have to get circumcised, you know. The other decree, sexual immorality was forbidden, and it was forbidden for all believers for all time. And then the last one, meat offered to idols, from animals that have been strangled in blood, were all forbidden as food. Not, not because they were essential to salvation, but to facilitate fellowship between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. That would have been a stumbling block as well for the two to come together into one church. You know, it's interesting. Paul would later make a revision to the decrees. that were, they, they, These decrees were settled by the apostles in Jerusalem, and, and Paul actually made a few changes. One change in particular. It wouldn't be in regard to sexual immorality. That didn't change. That will always be sin. It wouldn't be in regard to salvation by grace through faith alone, because there's only one way to be saved. That message never changed, and it's still the same today. It still doesn't change. But he did change the degree in regard to the dietary decrees. Because he writes this in 1 Timothy um, 4, verses 4 and 5. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So he made a, made a little change to that. Why did he do that? Again, it wasn't essential to salvation. In 1 Corinthians 8, he's dealing with a church that's part of the people, you know, in the marketplace, Um so the, the the pagans would sacrifice and they they'd sacrifice their meat to these gods and then they would sell it in the marketplace and that'd be like going to Costco because it was the cheaper prices you could get you could get a really good deal on 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 whatever meat that they had in the marketplace however it had been sacrificed to idols and so there were christians that were really struggling with that we can't eat we can't we can't do, have anything to do with idolatry and so there was a, there was an issue there others were saying you know what what's an idol it's nothing This is a good buy. I mean, I'm hungry. I like beef or whatever, you know. We're going to buy it. Um, And so there was a big issue. And so Paul addressed that issue for believers. He says in 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Did you get that? Knowledge puffs up. We're talking pride there. But love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Listen, we are saved by grace through faith alone, period. But we're to walk in love with our brother and sister in the Lord. We're saved by faith. Uh, We're saved by grace through faith, and yet we're still to walk in love with our brother and sister in the Lord. Giving up your freedom and rights in order to not be a stumbling block to a fellow believer, it's an act of love. It means you really care about that person. Out of love for the Jew, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Timothy didn't need to be circumcised. It was simply out of love for the people that they were going to minister to because they didn't want to be a stumbling block. And out of love for the Gentile and the Jew, Paul could eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, but he also could refrain from eating meat if it would cause someone to stumble, he said, man, I don't even need to eat meat. I'll become a vegan. Vegan, 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 whatever they call it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you could tell where my heart is. <laughs> you know what my purpose is. I eat beef. <laughs> Anyways. So Paul delivered these decrees. Paul and Silas and those that were with him delivered these decrees. And look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You know, this is true of the Calvary Chapel movement, but it's true of just about every, well, it is true of every church. A church will grow strong where faith is professed, where grace is stressed, and where love is expressed. You want a healthy church? That's what a healthy church is. Faith is professed, grace is stressed, and love is expressed. Verse 6 Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now, we're not told how the Holy Spirit forbid Paul and his team to preach the word in Asia. We do know from earlier scripture that Silas was a prophet. So it could have been a prophetic Word, a prophetic utterance, but Scripture doesn't tell us, so we can't, we can't make a presumption. But it's interesting that the Holy Spirit forbid Paul. Uh, that's kind of a strong word, actually. That forbidden means to hinder, to withhold a thing from anyone, to deny or to refuse one a thing. The Holy Spirit refused to let Paul and his team go into Asia. You know, last week... I asked a question. I said this, is it possible to be guided by the Lord through something as subjective as our personal desires? Because you recall, recall that Silas, he just, he just decided he wanted to stay, stick around in Antioch. It was just his desire. He thought it was a good idea. So he just, he just, he didn't have a word of the Lord. He didn't have a vision. He didn't have, you know, somebody prophesying over it. He just, you know, what I, th- I think I want to hang out here. That was his desire. Can God lead someone through something as subjective as personal desires? And last week I shared a few scriptures. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Jesus said this, John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in me, excuse me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And I answered that question that I had asked rhetorically. Last week I said, If I am delighting in the Lord, if I am committing my way to the Lord, if I'm abiding in the Lord, if the Word of God is abiding in me, then yes. I can be led by something as subjective as my personal desires. Why? Because if those conditions are present, man, my desires, my will is going to line up with God's will. It, it, they're going to they're mesh. They're going to they're be perfectly together. My desire will be to glorify God and bear fruit in whatever decision I'm making. The Bible says the answers are yes in those cases. But here we are today reading about Paul. Paul, for all we know, because we're not told in scriptures, I think he was abiding in the Lord and in his word. I, I, I don't doubt that Paul was backsliding at this moment. Paul was abiding in the Lord and in his word. He was delighting in the Lord. He had committed his way to the Lord and he trusted in the Lord and yet the Holy Spirit shut the door for Paul and forbid him to enter Asia. Let me ask you this. How many of you would have given up at that point? Man, Lord, what, what what's the deal? Think about Paul for a moment. You know, Paul knew he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, right? He, he knew that. When he got saved there on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus spoke to him and said, basically revealed to Paul, your life's gonna—you're going to be a disciple, or excuse me, an apostle to the Gentiles. So you know that you're called as an apostle to the Gentiles. You've already completed one missionary trip, right? So this is not like new ground. I mean, they're going to a new area, but it's as far as you know—you kind of know the ropes. When I flew into Norfolk for the—and I found I can't say Norfolk; I get corrected very quickly out there. It's Norfolk. You get. Got to be careful how you say it, but you know, got to say it kind of fast. So I try to say it kind of fast. And anyways, um, you know, when I flew in there, the first, I'd never been there before, and I had to rent a car and drive down to North Carolina. And you know, there's toll roads, and there's just tr- everybody's in it, flying around there in cars. And I'm I'm this guy like I don't know where to. I'm the tourist, you know, I don't know where to turn and stuff. And uh, it was kind of aggravating that first week, but after that, now I've got it kind of down. I I'm at the point where I barely. I still kind of use the navigation thing on my cell phone, but I'm kind of like, okay, this looks all familiar. I, I can do it again. Think about Paul. He's, a, this is, he's already completed a missionary trip. So he kind of knows the ropes. He knows what to expect. In those kind of situations, you basically do what you know to, you know to do. I, I know what to do. And the Lord shuts the door, not once, two times. Would you have given up? You know, this situation reminds me of a story that happened to David in Second Samuel chapter 5. I'm going to read to you out of verse 17 and 20. It says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Then the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal, Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal, Perizim. Man, good victory, a good battle, God showed up in that situation. That's like Paul's first missionary trip. He knew what to do. But then we read on in verse 22 of Second Samuel, uh, Samuel 5. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and he said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. David was a man who sought a fresh word from the Lord for each and every situation. He didn't assume anything. Man, wouldn't that be great if you and I were like that? We never made an assumption, a presumption. We just, Lord, this is a new, I know know what happened in the past, Lord. This is a new, can you guide me? Seeking the Lord. You know, it wasn't just David. Even God's servant, Jesus, is prophesied there in Isaiah 50. It's a Messianic prophecy. It says this. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And you know, if you're reading through the gospel, you know what you read quite frequently? Jesus got up before the other disciples and he went to pray. He was seeking the Lord. disciples were like, hey, where'd he go? We've got to find him, you know, and they'd find him usually. And he had been praying. He had been seeking the Lord. Jesus prayed and asked the Father for direction each morning. He was a man of prayer. So let me just throw this out there. If the Savior, (laughs) Jesus Christ, sought daily guidance from his Father, how much more do you and I need daily guidance from our Father and from the Holy Spirit? God doesn't want you or me to trust in our past experience. I got this down. I've, I've, I know what this is like. God doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to assume and not to presume. You know, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Every day. Think about this. If Paul had gone had insisted on going to Asia against the will of the Spirit... I don't think like the Holy Spirit would have struck him down. But I don't think his mission would have been successful, spiritually successful. G. Campbell Morgan said this, It is better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. How true is that? You know, if you read the book of Acts and you read Paul's letters, his epistles, you come to the conclusion Paul was a planner. It wasn't like me. I'm kind of like, I'm I'm on the fly kind of a guy. It drives people that aren't that way kind of nuts, but that's who I am. Paul was a planner. He hadn't made plans to visit Europe. In fact, Troas wasn't even on Paul's radar. Paul was going to go to Asia, and yet the Lord closed those doors. And you know, that's how God sometimes leads us. Sometimes he opens doors, but sometimes he closes doors. He shuts us out of opportunities only to open up new ones. The work that I'm doing for the BGEA, as Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, as a tour rep last year, I was a local tour rep, and what I'm doing now as a, as a non-local tour rep, I don't know, whatever you call it, that was a result of a shut door. I was pursuing something and the door shut and then the Lord opened up this door and so I'm like, okay, I guess this is where I'm going to go, Lord. How many of us would have given up after a few shut doors. I keep trying, and God keeps saying, no, I'm done, man. I'm going to go do something else. What did Paul do? Paul went where the door was not shut. Not shut. Yeah, not shut. (laughs) It sounded weird to me when I said it. (laughs) Paul went where the door was not shut, down to Troas, and waited. Waited. I have no idea how long, but I suspect it probably wasn't long. Warren Wiersbe says this, it's comforting to know that even the apostles were not always clear as to God's will for their ministries. So if you're ever struggling with something, think, man, even the apostles didn't, didn't always have it all figured out ahead of time. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood... And pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul, he didn't go through those shut doors. He went down where the door was open to Troas, and he just waited. And God showed up, and Paul received a vision. He received a vision on where to go, Macedonia, what to do to help the Macedonians come to faith in Christ, and why to go. He was even told why. The Macedonian was pleading in the vision. In other words, there was a desperate need. That word pleading is the word parakaleo. It's also a description of the Holy Spirit, by the way. But it means uh, para, the side of or alongside, and beside, or beside, and kaleo means to call. It means literally to call one alongside, to call someone to oneself, to call for, to summon. And so this, this, in this vision, this Macedonian man is summoning Paul, calling him, and what's his words? Help us. That word help means to run on hearing a cry to give assistance. You mothers, you know that cry well, right? Middle of the night, your little baby starts crying. What do you do? Well, sometimes it's like you can tell if they're angry, right? Or you can tell you could, but if there's a desperate cry, you, you know, you come running. What's going on? What's up? That's what that word means. It means succor, to give assistance and support in times of hardship and distress. That vision for Paul was a message. And what it turned out to be, it was the desperate cry of Europe for Christ, that's what it ended up being. Verse 10. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul received a vision. He shared it with his companions, and they did some spiritual algebra. You guys like algebra? I don't know. They, they did some spiritual ad, algebra. Two unmistakably closed doors, plus a vision showing an open door and a desperate need equals, hey, I think the Lord's calling us to Europe. Let me ask you this. How many of you here this morning reading this going, man, that would have been awesome to have a vision of the Lord telling me what... Wouldn't that be cool to get a vision? Man, this is what God wants me to do. This is my calling in life. How many of us would have liked that? It would have been so cool, right? I'm going to read something to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And you guys probably know this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Hey, we're living in the last days. And the Bible says in the last days, there's going to be visions and dreams. But you know what? Partially because of that scripture I just read, there is a growing focus on dreams and visions. That's what some people are looking for. I, I'm looking for a vision to call me. or I, need, I want a dream to tell me which way to go or something. I want to read to you what the Lord spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 28. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream, And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? I don't know if you caught that. Compared to the word of God, a dreamer, a vision's chaff. The The wheat's what you eat. The wheat's what will sustain you, what strengthens you. Chuck Smith, you guys, some of you saw that movie last night. Chuck Smith said this. You may be running around looking for spiritual excitement. It's always a dangerous thing, looking for spiritual phenomena, because it's easy to be led astray. The word of God will keep you on the path. You cannot grow by supernatural phenomena. That's what Pastor Chuck, the movement of, one, of, one of the greatest movements in the, in the past century, a move of the Holy Spirit said, hey, you can't depend on that. Don't focus on that. Listen, I want to tell you this, and this is just my pastoral advice. If you have the choice between a vision for direction or the word of God, stick with the weed of the word and just stick with the word. Notice after concluding it was the Lord that had called them to go to Europe. He says, we sought to go to Macedonia. You know who that we is? That's Luke the writer of the Gospel of Luke. That's Luke who's narrating this portion of the book of Acts. In other words, he started accompanying Paul on this second missionary trip. And notice that it says, I've got to back up here. Now, after we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. After they put 2X plus Y together equals Europe, (laughs) they immediately took off. They didn't delay. You know, you and I, we're to walk by faith, not by fleece. You know what I'm referring to? It was in the book of Judges, I believe. Gideon. God told Gideon, God gave Gideon a vision. The angel of the Lord appeared to, to Gideon and said, called him basically a mighty warrior. And Gideon's, when he said that, Gideon was hiding in a vat. <laughs> hiding from the Midianites. I think it was the Midianites. Yeah, the Midianites. He was hiding I says, oh, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> Is there somebody behind me? What's going on here? And so what did Gideon go? When the Lord told him what to do, Gideon said, let me put this thing out, this piece of cotton out on the, on the ground, and, and, and the, we'll let the dew fall on it. You know, he was seeking, and let the ground be dry, let the dew be wet. And the dew was wet. That <laughs> didn't sound good either. Going back to my past. Um, and then he then he said, Well, how about do it the other way? I mean, he didn't I'm paraphrasing very very badly, but you know, you get the street. You guys probably know the story. You know, some people I remember when I was first walking with the Lord, I was attending some churches, that was like the spiritual thing to do. I'm gonna put out a fleece and seek the Lord. There was nothing spiritual about that. There was nothing spiritual about that. God descended, God, God allowed Gideon to have that. But God had already said, hey, you're going to go do this. Just do it. So that was, that was actually weakness. And man, isn't God a good God? Even when we're weak, he, he, he comes down to our level. That's not a good thing when he comes down to our level, but that's the God what we serve, that he loves us that much. So we walk by faith, not by fleece. And listen to this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Plain and simple. Delayed obedience is is disobedience. They didn't delay. They jumped on it. They walked by faith. Actually, they sailed by faith. Look at verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. The phrase, the straight course, it's a nautical expression. It literally means we ran before the wind, meaning the ship sailed to its planned destination without having to tack and turn either against a headwind or a sidewind to get where they were going. If you know sailing, my son's getting into sailing about a sailboat. He's he's told me all about that stuff. Um, What it means is the wind was at their back and it just blew them along. They ran a straight course. Philippi, their destination, was a Roman colony. Vincent's word study has some interesting things about it. It says the colony was used for three different purposes in the course of Roman history. First of all, it was used as a fortified outpost outpost in a conquered country. Second, it was as a means of providing for the poor of Rome. I'm guessing through taxation. And then the third reason, it was a settlement for veterans who had served their time. The idea of a colony was that it was another Rome transferred to the soil of another country. It was like a piece of Rome transplanted abroad so that those who held citizenship in a colony enjoyed the same rights they would have had if they had lived in Italy. It's like little Italy there in Europe. There was a reason why I shared that with you, and we'll get to it in a few minutes. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Remember what I mentioned earlier? Paul's custom was to preach to the Jew first and then the Gentile, which meant going to the local synagogue in whatever city they were at. And to have a synagogue in the city meant there had to be ten Jewish men who were, heads of their own, who were heads of their household. You know what that suggests? That there weren't many Jews in Philippi. This was a Roman colony. The riverside, outs, uh, riverside outside the city was the gathering spot for the few Jews that had met there to pray. It was sort of like an informal synagogue. And it says, we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. There is a a lot of stuff to unpack in that short sentence. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. First of all, we sat down as significant. You know, rabbis, when they were in the synagogue teaching, they would sit down, but people would stand up. So if we really wanted to be biblical here, you know, in the first century, I would be sitting on a chair here. You would all be standing up for an hour listening to me. That was the culture. So they're sitting down as rabbis there by the riverside. The rabbis sat and taught, and the people stood and listened. Robertson's word uh, picture says this. It was not mere conversation, but more likely conversational preaching of an historical an expository character. And Luke's use of the first person plural implies that each of the four, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke preached in turn with Paul as their chief speaker. This is like a synagogue service taking place. They sat down as rabbis do in the synagogue, and look what they did, and spoke to the woman, women, excuse me, who met there. The fact that it says that they spoke to the women that met there indicates that there were no men there, no Jewish men. It's just women. You know, some people struggle with Paul's teachings regarding women and the roles in the church. They say he was a chauvinist. I remember one time we were meeting at the hotel and and. Uh, we had a visitor. and This is when we were first starting out, and I remember saying, "Does anyone have a? You know, anyone want to share something?" This lady on the back. We should not listen to Paul, you know, and they should go ranting and raving about how Paul is terrible and everything. And some people look at what Paul teaches about women and men. This guy, this guy was a chauvinist. But you know, in Greek and Roman culture of the day, women were women weren't treated with respect in that culture. Period. In the Jewish culture, when some Jewish men prayed, you know what they prayed? They thanked God that they weren't Gentiles, they weren't slaves or women. Talk about chauvinist. On top of that, Paul had been raised a very strict Pharisee, and Pharisees would never lower themselves to teach women. They just didn't do that. That was for the husbands to do. God had transformed Paul, God had changed his heart and his attitude. And when you read some of his epistles, like for example, Romans chapter 16, you'll read about Phoebe, a deaconess in the church, and other women. You just don't do it now, but if you're interested, just see how he describes them in the end of the book of Romans. In his letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, read how he describes Iodia and Syntyche. Paul was not a chauvinist at all. God had transformed his heart. And so they're preaching, they're teaching these women as if they were all in a synagogue together. Verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Lydia, we're told, was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. She was most likely wealthy, more than likely. Why? Because, again, remember this is a Roman colony, and there was a great demand for purple fabric because that was used on the official toga at Rome and in all the Roman colonies. There was a need for it. You know the supply and demand? There's a demand, I guess is the better way to say it. So she probably was wealthy. And she was a worshiper of God. Like Cornelius back in Acts chapter 10, she was a God fearing Gentile, but she wasn't a full Jewish proselyte. But here she is. She's openly worshiping with the Jews there, and clearly she's seeking truth. What a good combination. And the Lord opens her heart, it says, to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. John six forty four. Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 15, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So here, this thing, the Lord opened her heart. Is that a pizza delivery by any chance? Oh, okay, okay. I'm expecting a pizza (laughs) delivery, so. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) Hungry kids. Um, The Lord opened her heart. She believed and she heeded the things spoken by Paul. The Lord did it. She believed and she heeded, and then she and her household get baptized, and the fruit is already evident in her heart. She opens her home to the apostles now for those of you that would prefer a vision for direction remember we talked about that wouldn't it be cool to have a vision of God saying go and preach to the people of Byron or something you know like that or Cassim, the heathens at Casson." I'm looking at someone <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that would prefer a vision of direction rather than the word of God think about this that vision didn't actually exactly match the reality it didn't exactly match paul was more likely expecting to meet a gentile male with a desperate need and instead he meets a wealthy woman on the outside who would appear to have no need and she's she's loaded man she don't need she don't need anything but the reality was she was desperately seeking god We can assume Paul also looked for a synagogue first and finding none, either suspect... uh, Let me read this to you because I'm going to slaughter it anyways. We can assume Paul looked for a synagogue first, finding none, either he hears about or he suspects that there's going to be this meeting by the river and he finds no men there, only women. So this vision is like, it kind of matches, but not really. Really? What if Paul had given up and left for another city where he could find a synagogue? He said, well, there's no synagogue here. I guess the Lord doesn't want me to preach here. And he left. What would have happened? What if Paul had insisted that that vision didn't match his reality and he gave up and left? What if he was listening to you two On his earbuds, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You remember that? (laughs) You know, what if he's like, okay, this doesn't match my vision, so I've got to find a man who's in desperate need calling out for help. He would have missed what God was actually wanting to do. Here the Macedonian man in desperate need turns out to be a Macedonian woman with an unseen and yet a desperate need. And Lydia becomes the first European convert paving the way for the spread of the gospel throughout Europe. You know, there have been men that have stepped foot on the continent of Europe that have conquered it. Alexander the Great, right? Stepped on Europe and and conquered it. Like Alexander the Great. Listen, little did Paul know that with his stepping foot on the continent of Europe, in obedience into God's, In obedience to God's guiding, he would be starting the phase of God's plan to spiritually conquer Europe for Christ. What an amazing thing. I am so glad Paul didn't give up. Why? Because I would venture to say most of us are from European descent. And we're the fruit of that obedience of Paul stepping foot in Europe to preach the gospel. Asia Asia will get... Asia will get, you know, there'll be missionaries sent out to Asia. That's later. But God had a plan and a purpose. And in his wisdom, Europe was next. Were they recipients of Paul's obedience and his indomitable spirit that was surrendered to the guiding of the Holy Spirit? And so if you don't catch anything out of this, first you realize I'm not a good singer, but if you don't catch anything out of this, man, this is it. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Trust God. Walk by faith. I'm going to close with this verse. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. I'm so thankful Paul didn't lose heart. And what an encouragement for you and I not to lose heart either. Don't give up. Why don't you stand? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. All the worship team, come on up. Father, we do come before you this, this afternoon, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that Lord, we have a lesson, Lord. And reading those things about Paul, Lord, I, I put myself in Paul's shoes and I, I think I would have gave up because I know I know me. Lord, I thank you that he didn't. Lord, I thank you that he continued to trust you and to be led even through closed doors, multiple closed doors to where you wanted him to go. Lord, I don't know what your plan or purpose is for each person in this room, but I know that you do have a plan and you do have a purpose for each of our lives. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would guide each one of us, whether it be by vision or by your word of God, however you lead us, Lord. May we recognize your calling and your leading and then may we follow it. And may we be obedient, Lord your call in our lives so I thank you for your word this morning in Jesus name amen let's close with this last song